Welcome to Garden DC, the podcast about everything gardening in the Washington DC and Mid-Atlantic region. I'm your host, Kathy Gents. I'm the editor of Washington Gardener Magazine, and we're aimed at gardening enthusiasts, people who grow everything from edibles to ornamentals, natives to exotics. If it grows in our area, that's what we talk about. This week on the Garden DC podcast, we're joined by returning guest Doug Oster. How have you been, Doug? Doing great. I've had a great season. Uh, we've been very lucky with uh, lots of rain. That's wonderful to hear because we had about three weeks of drought here in the city of Washington, D.C., but around us, it seemed like everybody was getting rain but us. It was one of those goes right over north, goes right over south type of situations, which is so frustrating. And as we're talking, there is a front coming through. And so if all of a sudden it goes black, I'll call you right back. Okay. Yeah, same here. We're actually having a front of thunderstorms coming through. So that's a good thing and a bad thing. Great to have the rain. Not so great to lose our electricity or internet connection, right? Right. So the last time you were on, we talked to you about tomatoes, everything about them from the earliest varieties to ripen to combating blight issues. And that was way back on our podcast episode four. A lot has changed since then, Doug. Yeah, no doubt. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, At least uh, things have opened up a little bit. I've been traveling Mm -hmm. and, uh, but for me over that period of time, it's just, been wonderful because we've had this great season and you forget how easy it is you know we we had last last summer we had we had a a a mild drought here in Pittsburgh and that watering every day of the containers and all that then you remember how hard it is now it's like gosh gardening's fun I really like it boy this is great you know yeah when it rains it's it's easy exactly that's usually my hour a day spent watering is what could have been weeding, planting new things, dividing things, moving them around. Yeah. And it kind of is kind of soul sucking as, as well when you don't have rain. No doubt about it. And I was gone for almost two weeks, but I kept getting reports that we're getting good rain and you know how it is sometimes when, mm-hmm. when you're leaving on vacation, you, you never get everything done you want in the garden. And so I left things out there in pots that I just like, all right, well, I, I hope to see you when I get back. But if I don't, it was nice knowing you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have that same system. I have a kiddie pool of the things I really want to keep alive. You know, I'll put some water level in there and then kind of sit them in that. And then I'll have a neighbor who can hit some of the pots and things. And then the rest are kind of like, you're on your own, kid. You know, <laughs> survival of the fittest. So I got lucky. Everything made it. And uh, although I'm still playing catch up with the weeds, I actually had to take the string trimmer into the vegetable garden. It was that bad. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's a lot of us. We were just in our vegetable plot a couple of days ago, beating back morning glory vines that were trying to pull down our tomatoes and engulfing the zucchini as well. It's just crazy what one or two days away can do in the plot. And it's just, uh, you know, this time of the year in the garden where everything is you know 
at its peak and and it's just so lush and you can't see through the beds you know you've got 10 foot tall tomatoes and vines and lilies and everything and it's just oh it's just great mm-hmm. yeah so that's why we wanted to make the theme of this episode summer bounty especially in the vegetable garden and everything is coming in now i can't imagine going on vacation at this point right <laughs> you just can't get away unless you just give somebody carte blanche to harvest from your vegetable plot the only thing worse is going on vacation in may actually that, mm-hmm. that that's pretty bad when you're right at planting time when you have so much to do but yeah i agree uh, when everything's rolling in like this, you want to be here with all that work, you know, like we talked about when we did the last podcast, getting those tomatoes started and babying them along and making, you know, big plants and digging them deep and planting them horizontally, whatever it is. And then not to be here when the stuff comes in is, uh, not the way it should go. Mm-mm. Yeah, and, and speaking of not being away in May, I always say I'll never see the Chelsea Garden Show in the UK because of that. <laughs> because that's exactly the height of our gardening season. Well, here. that's the what I'm talking about. Actually, this is mm-hmm. this will be my third trip this May, taking people there, and and that's always the the first thing the gardeners say is like, oh, it's just it's such a difficult time to be gone, but the payoff is. The Chelsea Flower Shows, the Super Bowl of Flower Shows. One day you're going to have to go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's on my bucket list, but not soon. How's that? All right. <laughs> <laughs> in, a couple, in a few years. So speaking of uh, momentous events and things we have coming up, August 8th is, and let me get the exact name right, National Sneak Some Zucchini Into Your Neighbor's Porch Day. Uh, so that was invented or started by Pennsylvanian Tom Roy, and it's to celebrate when you simply wait until the dead of night and quietly creep up to your neighbor's front doors, leaving plenty of zucchini for them to enjoy. So is that a practice that you endorse, Doug? No, the way we do it in Pittsburgh is if you stop at a stoplight for too long and you have your back window open, then you get a bag of zucchini. That's the way we do it in Pittsburgh. Maybe he's from, maybe he's from the center of the state or over in Philadelphia, but that's yeah. the way we do it here. And you have to have a front porch to. I th- the front porch part makes me think Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. Makes me think of a front stoop, and you just kind of sneak it up there and then run. One, one thing that's interesting, though, that I'm getting a lot of questions about. You know, you, it, that's how zucchini used to be, but with pollinator problems there are a lot of people that aren't getting zucchini like they used to Hmm. in my my garden there's a beehive in there and so yeah all these vine crops are going crazy but i'm actually uh, teaching people the birds and the bees i'm telling them how to hand pollinate their vine crops uh because that you know some of them they're just they're not getting you know they're not getting that huge amount of zucchini that they used to and so that's something that I've, I've seen over the last several seasons actually yeah i've started to share on our twitter feed and facebook page uh the photo of the female and male squash blossoms so people can be familiar with what they look like and then how they could pollinate them by hand and some people are you know very surprised that that first crop it's usually what 
female flowers or all male flowers at the same time. Right. And if you don't have a neighbor somewhere close by with zucchini at the same time or cucumber or whatever other squash at the same time, it's hard to get a good pollination going these days. Yeah, no doubt about it. Do you recommend actually taking the flower off and like sticking it together? Sometimes I'll do that and kind of smush them together. I, I, I say, I say little itty bitty paintbrush, but you could do it either way. Mm -hmm. It's usually I forget to bring a paintbrush out to the plot. You don't have a paintbrush in your little tool thing? <laughs> no, I guess you could use a toothbrush or something else too. Let's see. Trowel, pruners, mm -hmm. toothbrush. I don't think so. <laughs> mm -mm. <laughs> so do you find the same thing in tomatoes as well? I've heard people saying that their tomatoes are really slow to germinate and pollinate these days. So that usually is self-pollinating, right? From the, the top flowers, kind of the pollen shaking and falling off into the lower flowers. Actually, both male and female parts are in that flower. And so when the bee comes up to it, it's it's trying to get in and it's vibrating it and so it's uh mixing that pollen that way uh, you know a lot of times in uh greenhouse growing they'll they'll use actually an electric toothbrush to simulate the bee uh, or they'll get hunt, uh, uh bumblebees you know to release in the greenhouse and then out in the garden a lot of times I tell people just give those plants a shake that'll help but uh we had a lot of blossom drop when it gets gets hot, especially with uh, the bigger beefsteak heirlooms. Uh, when it, you know, if they don't set early, and it goes to like you know eighty six and ninety two and like that, they'll just drop their blossoms. They'll just say, "I'm not, I'm not even trying under this heat." And so, uh, I always tell people for that type of plant, those those beefsteaks that take you know all summer to ripen get them in you know take your time get them in though as soon as you can when it's safe and that way at least they'll set some fruit for you uh, because at this point they're going to start setting fruit and you know if the tomato is a 90 day or even longer mm -hmm. you're, you're going to be pushing it when you get to depending on when you get your frost you know the, the frost have been slower and slower to come in the past several years, but you never know. That's very true that you never know if we're going to have an early frost or a late frost, but knock on wood right there that <laughs> we have a late frost this year. Was that your head you were knocking on? What was that? <laughs> that was my door. Oh, okay. But I'm looking at what uh, zucchini I actually planted this year, the, the variety, and that's a cocozella that i'm trying out an heirloom one and that is meant to be uh harvested at just eight to 12 inches in length but of course you know some of the zucchini get away from you and become kind of baseball bat sized on up um what varieties are you growing this year doug so i have a patty pan out there that's about mm -hmm. it uh i'm not a huge zucchini grower just because uh, i like to at first i don't have full sun and so vine crops can be tough for me. I, I'm growing, you know, lots of beans, lots of uh, pole beans and cucumbers, but I've, I've got a patty pan out there and I don't remember what it is. It's some kind of Italian heirloom, uh, but it's, it's filled with, with fruit again, because, you know, you, if you have bees in the corner of your 
vegetable garden, that's going to make all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And those like patty pan ones, like summer squash, um, are our favorites. And and again, for a lot of a, a you know Italian recipes, uh, they're they're easy to process. But when you get that uh, those baseball bat size, those are the kind when they stop too long at the stoplight that you just throw those in through the back window, even if it's open or even if it's closed. <laughs> Bam, right through. <laughs> even if it's closed. <laughs> You're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> and those i almost think that the the local food pantries would be staying bo- saying basta or stop after a while you know actually they'll take anything like that and that's something that i'm always trying to get gardeners to do there is a a local pantry close to your house it's at a church or something else if you've got extra stuff donate it because they will appreciate it and i know what you're, you're saying you know like uh, not another zucchini, but that's not the way it is. Uh, I deal with a couple of them here in Pittsburgh, and to be there when that stuff is available means the world to people. Um, you know, this, these are senior citizens; these are working poor. These are people that that are they're working, they're working two jobs, but they don't they don't make enough, and they need a little bit of help with this food. And it's it's like I said, seniors, kids, and families working poor. Uh, there's not it's, and it's even more exciting when the big tomatoes come in, you know, uh, when, when you see these, those big heirloom tomatoes dropped off at the food bank, that that's, that's a treasure. That That's a treasure. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, a lot of that food has to be canned, you know, that's the only way they can store it. So it's high sodium and, and high fat many times. So fresh vegetables, you know, uh, it, it's just so important. I'm always trying to get people plant a little extra, give a little extra, uh, it feels good. Good point. And we just had our first gleaning at our community garden uh, for the local harvest share. And we were able to donate a bunch of Swiss chard. I think that was the majority of what we gave at this point in the season. But in another month, it will definitely be tons of that summer squash and tomatoes and other things coming in. And I know that the local food pantry and, and the food kitchens. The chefs are really good at converting those to really nutritious and yummy meals. And speaking of converting them, and you mentioned your patty pan. So when you get a big crop in at once and you're not growing acres, you're just growing. No, no, you know, my, vegetable, a- <laughs> my vegetable garden is 30 by 40. So there's one, yeah. one half of a little bed with some zucchini mm-hmm. running up a trellis. Mm-hmm. But still, do you get more than you can eat at once? And some you might donate, but some you might process to save. Do you shred it and put it in baggies to freeze? How, how do you process yours? Everything out of my garden, no matter what it is, we eat fresh. We just figure out a way to use it. I love to cook. My wife loves to cook. And so there's really not much freezing or or drying or any of that. It's just, I know it might seem like a lot, like, my best example would be tomatoes. And so you would say, how could you possibly use all those tomatoes? I could seriously eat eight or 10 tomatoes a day, big tomatoes. That's how much I love them. And so for the squash, you know, that would be up to the boss. She's, she'd be the expert on the squash, Uh, but she'll turn it into something, you know, usually, you know, add it with pasta. Uh, It's just everything we that's just the way we do it. I don't know why, you know, I, I, I could, I could learn to can and I could freeze and this and that, but I just, I, whenever we're, 
whatever season it is, like when, it's, when the, the pole beans are just starting to come in and it'll be, we'll eat as much as we can, but then, yeah, we'll, especially with pole beans, we'll be giving away bags, you know, either to the neighbors or to the, um, you know, the food bank. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I do too. Although this year I'm determined to blanch some and freeze some because last winter I was really missing some of that fresh produce from the garden. Yeah, I can completely understand that. I can completely understand people canning and saving and drying and freezing. Uh, I'm, I guess I'm too lazy. Maybe I don't know. It's just, <laughs> it's just hey, you know, it's like today. I, just, I got three cucumbers today. You know, that's like every day now. And so it's like, all right, well, I don't know. What do you want to do with it? I don't know. You want to peel them or I'll eat them tonight or who knows, you know, uh, it's the fun of summer. <laughs> and speaking of cucumbers and other vining plants, for some of our listeners who have maybe never grown zucchini or squash or cucumbers before, do you have any advice for beginners? Especially for cucumbers, um, because cucumbers will break your heart when they get infected with bacterial wilt. Uh, cucumber beetles are like these little green, they're either spotted or striped, uh, little, little quarter inch beetles. They'll nibble on the edges and they don't do too much damage, but they infect it with a disease. And so I always tell people, and I do this with almost all my crops, actually, it's called succession planting. And so for cucumbers, I'm in my zone, zone five, six, uh, it's May 15 planting, May 30th planting, June 15th planting, and always growing them up off the ground. Uh, I find that by staggering those plantings, I always have better luck dealing with pests, diseases, and weather. You know, when you plant it all at the same time, which that's the way I was taught to do it. You know, mom would march you out on Memorial Day and everything went in and on Labor Day, everything went out. And so that's not the way I'm doing it now. I'm, I'm and I know it might sound like a pain, like, oh, I just want to get my planting done. But if you do this, and like I said, I do it with almost everything. My last planting of tomatoes, and we talked about this before, was July 4th. Uh, and so staggering these plantings, it's just, it's made my garden more successful. And when you do plant all at the same time, you're just assuming that pest, disease, and weather will be on your side. And Kathy, I think you know from your all your years spent gardening, that's never mm-hmm. true. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, that's definitely great advice to 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 span span them out, space them out, and to be a little bit after is never a bad idea. I found, especially in a community garden, when you're surrounded by other people doing the same thing. So when the eggplant beetles or squash vine borers come, they'll hit the first in the ground first yep. and then if you're a little bit of a procrastinator or a little late a couple weeks behind then they've moved on to somewhere else so usually you can escape a lot of that issue and the other advantage is you know we're, we're in, in general pushing these plants into the soil a little early when the soil's cool when the weather is wet and rainy if you do procrastinate a little bit and you do wait a little bit many times you're giving the plant ideal conditions, a warmer soil and a warmer air temperature. Uh, And I I find that I'm always telling people, you know, they're saying like, you know, you get to Memorial Day, like, well, I missed my opportunity again. I said, no, no, you might be doing the right thing. You might actually have better plants by planting later because of that, uh, 
those uh, that that warmer soil and and warmer air temperatures. So so no, keep planting, and I'm still planting. You know, this is the this is the lead up to my you know fall garden. Uh, mm-hmm. Any any bed that goes fallow needs to be planted right away. You know, after the garlic comes out, bush beans go in. Mm-hmm. Depending on what I can find, you know, I got plenty of seeds, but I'm always looking for plants to get a jump on it. Um, and you know, believe it or not, in our climate here, Zone Five Six, the nurseries still have like big pepper plants and big tomato plants that you could just stick in a container. And and why not? I mean, they're all filled with peppers, and you'll get those as they ripen. But if you get lucky, they'll start putting on more peppers, and you'll pick those at the very end of the season. Very true, and starting with plants gives you a little bit of a head start late in the season so Mm -hmm. you could you could have had some like we talked about our driveway full of plants that didn't quite make it in the ground yet (laughs) some of those might be able to be transferred over as well i still have a bunch of them out there that (laughs) it's too too late for them you know I i threw a packet of carrot seeds into this flat that had lilies i got to sprout somehow and so there's there's a flat of of carrots and lilies out there. And I don't know what the heck I'm going to do with them. <laughs> well, don't get them mixed up because I don't think those lilies will taste so good. Oh, but they're going to be beautiful. <laughs> yep, but they'll be gorgeous. <laughs> so one beginner note I wanted to give on vining plants, especially zucchinis and cucumbers, is they're always surprised when they go to harvest their cucumber or zucchini, how prickly the actual vegetable is and the leaves are pretty prickly too that you might want to wear gloves uh, because when you go to the grocery store they've been cleaned of those little prickles on there but isn't that the beauty of being a home gardener Mm -hmm. you know those especially for me with cucumbers when i picked those three cucumbers today there's nothing like it there's not there's that texture on there that's that's from the home garden uh, and that's why what you know people you always hear people like oh, I could buy those for a dollar not these uh, not this fresh <laughs> not this yep. size not this type um, that's the other thing I was going to mention grow lots of different things mm-hmm. uh, that's also a great strategy you know put two or three different cucumbers or zucchinis in uh, because you never know one of them might turn out to be something you absolutely love and and does does good for you there's always going to be something that just doesn't work for you you know in my case it's onions i just don't have the right i can grow garlic i can grow bunching onions i just can't grow big onions and it's partially because of the sun maybe because of the ph i don't know but there's always something and believe me i worked hard at trying to do it i think it's more sun than anything i just don't have enough sun to get the biggest onions i get onions but they're they're laughable and my <laughs> wife likes to laugh at them. So <laughs> tiny onions. Yeah. That could be the name of your garden. Tiny, uh, onions. tiny onions. No, <laughs> it's, the, it's the huge garlic garden, Kathy. Yes. That's, that's yes. We'll celebrate our triumphs. So speaking of varieties and planting different ones every year, do you have a specific varieties of cucumbers that you like? I'm a, I'm partial myself to white wonder. I just love the the paler cucumbers. I've grown a ton of them, uh, and one I was really looking forward to and didn't get good germination on is is one that my friend Jessica Walliser turned me on to called Silver Slicer. Uh, mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. It, and sometimes 
you'll add something to the garden because somebody that you respect as a grower, as a gardener, turns you on to it. And she actually gave me some seeds, but I must have done something wrong with them when I stored them because they didn't sprout. But that's enough to get it in my garden. I'm going to try it again next year. But, um, you know, some of the old fashioned ones uh, I like, uh, County Fair. Uh, I love Diva. Diva is a newer one that uh, it doesn't, I don't know what they call it. it, has some kind of scientific name, but it doesn't need a pollinator. And so the other trick you can do on on like an all, all female, and I'm not sure if technically they're all female, but they don't need a pollinator. And you could cover that with something called a floating row cover and that would stop the beetle from getting to it. Sometimes when I have beetles really bad, I'll I'll grow a variety like Diva. And then Market More 76 is, an, is another old fashioned one that I like. But and I also grow a lot of different picklers. Um, it, a lot of times I like to grow them from seed. But what it ends up happening is I end up like at a nursery and I'm like, man, look at those. <laughs> look at those plants because they, they resent being transplanted. But that just means that knocks them back a week or two. Once they're in the ground, they'll take off again. Last year, I was speaking at a local nursery. And they had the most beautiful cucumber plants you ever saw. And I think they were all picklers. And I already had mine planted, but I just, I couldn't resist. I had a, I, I had a big giant uh, container that I just filled up with those, those cucumbers and they just went everywhere. <laughs> uh, that's, the other, that's the other thing, Kathy, you got to talk about mm-hmm. it being a vine wrangler. Especially your first time growing and the packet might say something like three foot by three foot. Now, come on now. <laughs> you know even the dwarf little mini pumpkins the little mini watermelons they might be little mini plants but they're gonna vine as much as you allow them to enough to cover the neighbor's house and the kids Mm -hmm. you just have to keep kind of beating them back guiding them back and pushing them off the path and off of each other that's another thing (laughs) that's what i'm doing every every day Mm -hmm. now where the cucumbers are i've got i've got i want to try most of my cucumbers I grow up, but I want to try. I said, I wonder if I can do them where they just kind of go on the ground and then I can have peppers on top. But I'm spending all this time tearing the vines off the pepper cages and, and, and like you said, pushing the vines off the path and around and around we go. So, uh, and I know what's going to happen too. It's going to become this jungle. And at the end of the season, I'm going to have about 400 yellow cucumbers in there I never saw before that have grown <laughs> and become. That's part of it. Although mm-hmm. that does that does drive me crazy. And uh, I have a friend that that has this just very tiny vegetable garden. And when I go over there at the end of the season, it's really nice because it's full sun and he compost galore. But he's got like like that, you know. They're in plain view, and I'm like, why isn't he picking those? They're just about <laughs> gone, uh, yep. you know. Mm. And that's why I think I'm really impartial to the the white varieties of cucumber or the paler ones because they're so much easier to spot under the foliage. So same thing with pole beans. I like the varieties that are purple potted, um, and I can spot them so much easier and not have to pick up every single leaf and inspect under everything to find those, you know, errant little uh, beans or cucumbers. You know, I did grow and I haven't grown it in a couple of years and you reminded me of it. It's called Hamong Red and it's from Baker Creek Heirloom Seeds and it's a it's a yellow cucumber and it gets huge, but it doesn't get bitter. And that was one I really loved. I need to grow that again. And then, you know, I want to tell you, pole beans, 
I grew one last year for the first time, and I'm growing it again this year, called Montegusto. And man, oh man, all I did was throw a packet of seeds behind some garlic. I didn't even put them in right. The soil was good, but I was like, man, I got to get these in, and this is the only place, and kind of pushed them in the soil and crossed my fingers. We had more pole beans than we could possibly use. And like I said, we use everything fresh. I had big, mm-hmm. giant, giant, you know, gallon Ziploc bags. Anybody, you know, anybody and everybody who loved beans, who would want to eat some fresh beans could get some. And how do you like to eat your pool beans? Do you fry them up? Do you just blanch them? How do you prep yours? Uh, yeah, blanch, steam, uh, garlic and butter. Mm, that's garlic, more, more garlic, the better. Everything has to have garlic in that, that, that I cook, <laughs> everything. Yum. I love garlic too. I like my beans. I like to fry up some eggs, like scramble the eggs and throw the beans in there after they've been blanched. Do you ever do that? Mm-mm, that sounds good though. And then you, then you uh, put Parmesan cheese on top. Wow. Super, super, super good. I'm going to have to come a... over for breakfast one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's either a good breakfast or brunch or a hearty lunch there you go. for those, but that's really good. So I was looking up the Hamong red and yeah, that is a striking cucumber. And that's and, really And cool the thing one. about it was that when it gets too big, it doesn't get bitter or, 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 or hard to eat. I mean, it, it gets huge and it's still as tender as the smaller ones, which that's the other thing about cucumbers. I guess we should have talked about, you know, once mm-hmm. they start to get big and they start to make seeds that they do, they do get bitter. The, the skin gets tougher. Uh, so I'm always picking all that stuff. Zucchini, cucumbers, always, I'm always picking small, even though, you know, you want to, you want to come in from the garden and show people like, look, I can grow exactly the same size as what's in the store. I've, I've accomplished something, but they're so much better when they're smaller, you know, especially those pickler cucumbers. A lot of times they'll just set fruit and get two, three inches and I'll, you know how it is. I'll just eat them in the garden. Very true to pick on the small side and, you know, not, not to wait till they get tough or too big. And that reminds me of the fact that zucchini actually means little squash in Italian, like baby squash. And we're growing them way too big. We should be harvesting them, you know, much smaller than we are. They're so much better. You're tender and sweet and yeah, just pick them early. And that, that kind of forces the plant to make more also. What mm-hmm. you know, most plants want to do is they want to grow and flower and put on seeds and, you know, cucumber or squash is a seed delivery system and then go to sleep. So if you pick those off before they start to swell and everything, the plant's like, I didn't make my seeds. I got to make more fruit. And same thing can be said for peppers. So if you're growing, say, a sweet pepper, do you pick at the green stage or do you wait for yellow or orange or red, depending on the variety? I almost always try to wait until the color's up. Uh, Mm -hmm. I, I love whatever the pepper is, whether it's a hot or a sweet one, I, I just, I love when it's reached that point where it, it's mature. And man, I had some uh, hot Hungarian wax the other day and I was like, well, how, how, how could it be? You know, I'm growing lots of hot peppers and they were hot enough to wake you up. I'll tell you. And they had all, they, because they had changed color, they had turned all the way red. And so they, they, they're completely finished. And even after cutting the flesh and seeds out, uh, I was hurting. (laughs) (laughs) 
Yeah, I'm not a big hot pepper fan, but I love the the sweet peppers, and I'll eat them at any stage. The you know, from green onwards, but I do know people who are super picky that they want them all the way sweet, sweet, sweet. I just love that there's something about them when they turn red uh, with the, the flavor for me. And the same is mm-hmm. true for hot. Mm-hmm. You know, one of the reasons that like hot pepper fanatics like, like me, when that hot pepper gets mature, and I'm talking about much hotter than Hungarian hot wax, the flavor is you got to take the pain, but the flavor that is just amazing. It's just that fruity flavor and you, you can't eat a lot of it, but every year my friends come over, I get all these hot peppers and I mean, super hot ones. And we cut out all the seeds, cut out all the flesh, fry them up. When you fry them up, it's like tear gas in the kitchen. <laughs> <laughs> and we sit there and we have them like, you know, start at the least and go to the hottest and just have a little piece of each just because you can say like, Oh yeah, I've eaten a Carolina Reaper. It's not like you've taken an entire Carolina Reaper and ate it off the stem. You've taken <laughs> a little slice of a Carolina Reaper with no seeds or flesh that's been cooked down. And then you're drinking milk and bread, eating bread and doing anything you can to stop the fire. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take a hard pass on that, Doug. <laughs> I, don't I don't blame you, but it is so much fun. I'll, but I'll definitely like to be there to watch. <laughs> Not as so, bad as you would think. We're, we're, mm-hmm. Maybe if we were 20 years younger, it would be bad. But we're, <laughs> we're smart enough to be like, let's start with a little bit and go from there. I remember the mm-hmm. first time that I ever had a ghost pepper, and my son and I both since he's been a little boy, he is, we have both embraced hot peppers. And so we were really excited. Okay. Ghost pepper. You know, this is when they first were a big deal. And he just, he, he's always the one who has to eat it first. <laughs> I'm quite a dad. Uh, it's quality time, Kathy, quality time. And he just took a sliver off the tip uh, and, and, and ate a little bit of it. He said, it's hot, but it's not that bad. One millimeter closer to the, the stem of the pepper was painful, <laughs> very, very painful. Mm. So that's some fun hot pepper stories for you <laughs> folks out there. <laughs> so, well, let's turn to have out some heartbreaking plants in the vegetable garden. So we talked a lot about our bounty and, and some of the things that we've had successes for, but I'm thinking in particular of two groups that I was going to ask you if you've had success with. Um, the first is eggplant, and then the second is corn. And I find both of them to be challenging myself for different reasons. And so let's start with eggplant. Are you a big eggplant grower, Doug? I I think they're beautiful. You know, as long as you can handle the. Uh flea beetle damage i mean you're always unless you're nuts about it you're always going to have flea beetle damage on mm-hmm. uh eggplant it looks like a shotgun you know was fired yep. and so to me growing an eggplant is about like growing a tomato uh or a pepper uh in my garden they grow about the same now corn forget it and in my old garden i grew corn and we did okay with it but it takes up so much space it's a heavy feeder it's wind pollinated, so it has to be set in kind of a block instead of rows. Uh, that that one you you need a lot of space, and then 
I was at a community garden doing a story. And of course, the gardener only visits every once a week. He had 12 foot tall corn stalks with giant ears of corn on them. Every ear was opened and stripped by raccoons. I mean, a mm-hmm. hundred ears. A raccoon will come one night and say, ah, not ready yet. Come back the next night, almost there. And then right before you pick it, there goes your corn. Uh, so the corn is a heartbreaker. What about you for eggplant? Are you having trouble growing them? It's the flea beetle yeah. damage. Yeah. They just, you know, will strip the foliage and you got a, a very unattractive looking plant. Of course, you can still get some nice eggplants. I find the new dwarf or patio sized eggplants much easier, like the Gretel Um, the container size and like we said earlier procrastinating or planting later in the season helps you a bit but you still you only get a few fruits few eggplants from each uh, plant so you need several if you want to make something decent like an actual uh, tray of eggplant parmesan so uh, you know one or two little baby eggplants not going to do much for you yeah and they're just kind of they're they're very beautiful that's kind of what I like them for in the garden but I guess if you were really like if eggplant was your thing and you really wanted to grow good eggplant, probably the best way to do it would be under a floating row cover from beginning to end uh, or open it up for pollination just to try and keep as many of those flea beetles off as possible. The The downside to that might be you cover those with a floating row cover and the flea beetles are already in there. Now you've <laughs> you've tented them inside yes you've made a yeah <laughs> you, yeah you made a bad situation even worse uh that's what i did last year was just containers of the many eggplants covered in you know it looked like a row of ghosts in my plot <laughs> <laughs> so, they, they did okay but it was a lot of work for you know not that much result i think for- the heartbreaking thing for me are, are the critters that that somehow get through that fence. You know, my vegetable garden is, is fenced, uh, picket level, but, uh, with chicken wire all the way around it, buried in the ground, no matter what I do, you know, especially early in the season when the uh, small rabbits that can get through that chicken wire, they can devastate those early beans, uh, and Mm -hmm. uh, coal crops and lettuce and all the things that, you know, you're so excited early in the season. Uh, I, 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 I love to grow year round and, that early part of the season is so exciting to me because anything that wintered over is, is going to go nuts. And then, you know, putting in all those cool weather crops, it's just, you're getting started and it's just that renewal of spring. Uh, And then, you know, the next morning you fattened up a rabbit, then he can't get out. And then what do you do? (laughs) So fatty can't get out the, the, the fence. Yep. Baby bunnies are so cute, but they are, so frustrating mowing down the pole beans just yeah. as they've germinated like they don't wait till it's bean stage you know they mow down the whole plant yep uh, but that's exactly why i was saying corn is the most frustrating <laughs> along with eggplant because there is not one creature who does not like corn mm-hmm. i can't i can't think of one creature that if they could get to that ear of corn would not eat it so <laughs> everything is going after it you know from deer to crows anything that could get into your plot is going to attack that corn so you just have to know that starting off and then as small space gardeners if you have corn growing near you at a neighbor 
so you're an urban or small space, then you have to worry about what they're growing because if they're growing, say, field corn or popcorn and you're growing silver queen, uh, you're not going to have silver queen when you finish and harvest it. I've seen people grow corn where it's in a cage. <laughs> it's like a, you know, it's like a corn death match uh, <laughs> where, where it's completely covered so the raccoon can't get to it because some, because there is nothing like the homegrown corn. You, mm-hmm. I mean, we have great corn from our farms, but the, the old uh, story is that when you grow your own corn, as you walk out to, to pick it, you've already got the water boiling because as soon as you pick it, the sugars start to convert to starches. And so only the home, it's just like most other things, only the home gardener can have the very best corn. And so I think that's why uh, so many people enjoy growing it. But boy, you need a lot of space and a lot of patience and maybe even a shotgun. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Pack your patience for sure. So you were saying you don't have too much sun in your plot and I'm sure you you're having your peppers and tomatoes in the best sun locations. So I was going to ask if you grow okra, but it sounds like you don't have space for it there. I've grown it in the past. It's just not one of my, I don't know much about it. You know, I just grew Mm -hmm. it. I grew it early on just as like, Oh, okra, this would be kind of cool. And I actually just talked to a guy, you know, via social media and I was asking him about it and he's, what do you use it for? He goes, Oh, I thicken up my gumbo. I'm like, that makes sense. That's, that sounds like okra. I just love growing okra because it's a beautiful plant itself. So you basically have a, a hibiscus relative with these beautiful flowers. And then the you get some vegetables out of it too. To me, they taste like green beans when you strip them straight from the plant and eat them raw and fresh in the garden. And like you said, with corn, you want to eat them right away uh, because the sugars. And if you wait a day or two, they start to get tough and yucky. And so even ones you get at the farmer's market is not the same as ones picked straight from your plot and put on your table. And I was going to also say that okra needs, you know, needs a fair amount of square footage, but because it's so vertical that it's a great one for putting something else underneath it. So you could have your pole beans underneath you could have your pumpkins underneath so it's one that it looks like it will take up a lot of real estate but really doesn't i had a friend that grew one that was burgundy and she just loved it she thought it was mm-hmm. one of the most beautiful plants in her garden yeah and they can be dried and saved and used for crafts and other things so it's a fun plant the one thing about okra similarly to zucchini that we were talking about earlier is you do not want to go away for a couple days and miss that harvest because it gets woody almost immediately Mm -hmm. so after two or three days you just have to strip those little okra horns off and then start again uh, because you are not going to eat those (laughs) How about beets? Beets. <laughs> I am not a fan of beets at all. Even though I love other vegetables, I've never gotten into beets. How about you, Doug? I hated them when I was a kid because mm-hmm. uh, they were those canned beets. And I was just growing them for my wife, actually, because she loved beets. And once I got those garden beets out, though, and she roasted them, I'm a beet lover. <laughs> I actually had a... <laughs> Uh, I don't know, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I had this program called All We Are Saying Is Give Beats a Chance, where I had people <laughs> singing that on a video. And I was because uh, I was a guest on a radio show and they were reading the, this news clip about 
a new organic gardener garden being at the White House. This was under the Obama administration. And the last line in the uh, news release was, but there will be no beets in the White House garden because the president doesn't like beets. And then, you know, they introduced me. And the first thing I say is, we must have beets in the White House garden. <laughs> and I just started this whole crazy program. <laughs> it ended up that my, my book publisher met two gardeners from that, that garden at Mance, actually, uh, this is a trade show that Kathy and I see each other at in Baltimore. And he said, you got you got to meet this guy. He's got this whole beets thing to get beets in the White House garden. <laughs> so he got their card and I sent him a DVD of the video. It's on YouTube. If you search, give beets a chance, you can see this silly video. Uh, and then I sent two packets of seeds and they sent me a letter back and just said, it's no big deal. We're just going to put some beets in the White House garden. No one will know the difference, but I always like to say that I change public policy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've definitely grown beets, even though I don't eat them. And I usually, that's what I'll give to a food banker or, or kitchen. And Here, try everybody, to... here's the stuff I don't like. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and push them off. But uh, that's only just to have the experience of saying I grew beets and they look beautiful. There I will go. say that. I will say that, you know, cut open for, you know, laying on the counter even. There is the staining factor, though, that people need to be a little bit cautious about. So, you know, if you have marble countertops, don't set your beets down on those marble countertops. There, there's one called uh, Chiogia, mm -hmm. and it's named after an Italian fishing village. It's an 1800s heirloom. And when you cut it open, it, it's white flesh with pink concentric, concentric rings that look like a target. That is a cool one. Mm -hmm. uh, that's a good one to try and get kids in, into beats. And and Kathy, too. Mm, yeah, you, you can try. <laughs> Roasted with goat cheese. I'm trying to think what else we can pour on that beet that you could choke it down. Maybe a lot of garlic and butter. There you go. <laughs> then, then I might be able to. So any other vegetables that you're growing? Sweet potatoes, potatoes, turnips, starches? Um, no potatoes this year. I'm trying to think what else. Is well, lots of greens. Um, mm -hmm. Trying to think about I got to have something weird out there. Well, I'm growing a grain, and I don't even know how to pronounce it. But this is the second year I've grown it. Something like horizontal. And... A lot of times I'll find seeds in, in catalogs. And this is, I, there's a cool catalog. It's called J.L. Hudson Seedsman. There's no pictures in it. And I love it. And I found this stuff in there. And just the description was it's like a, you know, grown way down south, Mexico or someplace. And it makes this grain. It's easy to grow. But they would take the big, it's like a big red thing of grain, kind of look like an amaranth. But you're supposed to batter it and then deep fry it, eat it that way. But the foliage tastes like spinach. It grows like a weed. And then it says it's that beautiful grain on there. And actually, I gave some to uh, uh, the Pittsburgh Botanic Garden. They have like an edible area uh, in a kid's garden. And I was just up there and it's looking great. And again, something I like to grow stuff that's a lot of times weird and different just to see what it's like. And like I said, the foliage tastes like spinach. It, 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 it grows without any help from the gardener. And then it has this beautiful red kind of grain seed heads that, that they don't need to be deep fried. I was eating them all sorts of different ways. I was eating them out in the garden. They were good. Hmm. We'll have to have you spell that for us, Doug. Do I, can I look, should I look it up? Yeah. If you all can right. look it up and it's not Malabar spinach. No, so no, 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 no. This is completely different. 
Um, let me see. You keep talking, and I'll see if I can get this to work. So, speaking of Malabar spinach, that one's one that needs full, full sun to take off for you. But it is a green that you can grow in hot, humid summers. So, you know, when your other greens, your spinach, your arugula, your regular lettuces have kind of petered out or bolted, uh, then that's a great time to have Malabar spinach in the garden. Here's the spelling. Okay. H-U-A-U-Z-O-N-T-L-E. How would you say that? Huazontal, I think. Huzadl? Huzidl? Yeah, interesting. Well, definitely have to check that out and maybe get some seeds to try that out next year. There's a couple different common names I'm looking right now. Red Mm -hmm. Aztec spinach, it's sometimes referred to. Ah. It says ancient grain. And anyway, when I, I got these seeds and I thought nobody else in the world would be growing this. Well, of course, as soon as I started searching it, I found all these farmers that were growing it because it was such a great food crop and so easy to grow. And so it's just tucked into corners and they let it do its thing. And so I've been playing around with it. And those are the kind of things I like to give to other gardeners too. Like here, try this because it's so out there. Uh, one of, one of the real fun parts for gardening for me is, is, is finding just strange things like that. Even that Hamong red cucumber uh, you know, in your case, white wonder cucumber for many people would be unusual, but just growing different stuff and experimenting with it and seeing if it's something you love. And just uh, there's there's something about having a, a, a whole field or a whole bed of white cucumbers, man. That is that, that just has a, a, a different look to it. When someone comes to my garden, they see that red grain. They're like, what is that thing? You know, and and. You spend, you know, in my case, it's been 30 years I've been gardening and, well, longer than that, but 30 years writing about gardening. But uh, there's always just something new. Some, you, you can never get to all of it. And that's one of the beauties of, of gardening, of just this exploration. Every time you kind of turn a corner, you find something new and cool and you might become a new obsession for you. You know how garden obsessions are, right? Yep. <laughs> and new and cool is the name of the game. That's us, right, Doug? Yeah. Well, old, old, <laughs> old, and yeah, yeah. New and cool. You're right. <laughs> we'll claim it. All right. Let my listeners know, Doug, how they can follow you on YouTube and all your new endeavors. Just start at dougoster.com. Everything's there. Uh, if you just search Pittsburgh and gardening, I'll come up too. But uh, I answer all my garden questions. That's the first thing I want to say. Uh, mm-hmm. Part of my job is helping people garden. And when I do answer those garden questions, many times I can get a story out of it. Uh, I love talking to other gardeners and, and seeing what they're doing and seeing what they're having success with and, and, and hearing their stories on how they got into gardening. You know, garden people are just the best people you know uh when you think of like social media and and haters and trolls and all this stuff i don't i don't get that you know i don't have it it's just we're all talking about gardening and and having fun talking about it and helping each other i always say that that gardeners <laughs> they're not like fishermen they share their secrets <laughs> and and that's true because gardeners like to, to help other people succeed. 
any last thoughts? Keep planting, have fun. Plants die. That's part of it. Uh, when anything ever dies in your garden, all you have to say is that something must have happened to it before I got it. Because that's what I always say. <laughs> Good one. Thank you so much, Doug. Uh, thank you, Kathy. That was fun. This episode is brought to you by Bumble. So you want to find someone you're compatible with, specifically someone who's ready for a serious connection, totally open to having kids in the future, is a tall rock climbing Libra, and loves rom-coms with vegan pizzas on Tuesdays just as much as you do. Bumble knows that you know exactly what's right for you. So whatever it is you're looking for, Bumble's features can help you find it. Date now on Bumble. Plant profile, zinnia. Zinnias are colorful summer annuals that are practically carefree and a great choice for beginner gardeners. The zinnia is a rewarding plant, especially for those of you who have never started flowers from seeds before. Rewarding is an understatement, actually. In a typical summer, I have picked 10 bouquets of flowers from my small zinnia patch by early July. The bees and butterflies love them too, I am often culling my blooms right out from under the insects with a quick sorry as I run off to put them in a vase. To start zinnias from seed, clear off a patch of soil in a sunny area of your garden. Here in the humid mid-Atlantic U.S., good wind circulation is a must as zinnias are vulnerable to powdery mildew, so make sure they are out in the open and not next to a brick wall or tall shrubs. Scratch a few lines in the ground and then sow your seeds according to the package instructions. Water them in well. If it doesn't rain consistently, you may have to give them supplemental water, but usually they're fine without it. The only other care note is to have your floral snips handy as once they start blooming, you'll want to pick them practically daily. The more you cut, the more flowers they produce. And it's not too late in this growing season. Last year, I didn't start my zinnia seeds until early August, and I was picking flowers by the end of September, and they kept on producing throughout October. Zinnias, you can grow that. new in the garden this week? Well, first, a big thank you to new listener supporter, Ashley Madison. Thanks, Ashley. If you'd like to become a listener supporter too, just go over to anchor.fm backslash garden DC backslash support and fill out the form. Over at our community garden plot, the big news is the Castanel bush beans that I got from seeds from Renee's gardens are already producing a crop and I say already because it was exactly 42 days prior that I planted the seeds in the ground. And I think that is a record, at least for my garden, for bush beans. So very grateful and happy to have that harvest already coming in. And over at my home garden, daylilies are still looking beautiful. The hydrangeas are going on and on and on and producing lots of bouquets for me. So very happy with the midsummer garden. Echinacea, coneflowers, 
still looking great. Black Eyed Susans are pretty much the highlight everywhere because they are popping up little yellow exclamation points all over my garden. And in the local garden world, I want to urge everyone to get over to downtown Frederick, Maryland, if you're in the D.C. area at all or in the region, to walk along the Carroll Creek Park. It is magnificent right now. All the water lilies are in bloom. They have several lotus and other water garden plant selections in there. And it is just a beautiful highlight for the summer season. And there are nearby shops and restaurants to patronize as well. Just a great day outing to do um, for the summertime. And in local garden events, we have the Washington Gardener Garden Photo Show opening reception on Sunday, August 1st from 2 to 3.30. And that's open to the public and anybody who wants to attend. After that opening reception, the photos will remain on exhibit in the Meadowlark Botanic Gardens Visitor Center Lobby through August 30th. So if you missed the reception, you can still come by anytime to view those winning garden photos. And I encourage you to do so even if you saw them in our magazine or online, because in person, the detail is just spectacular and it's nothing comparison to seeing from digital to in-person these beautiful photos that our area photographers have taken. And another local event I wanted to draw your attention to is Grow Your Own Microgreens. And this is from friend of the show, Cultivate the City. That's taking place Saturday, August 7th at 11 a.m. at their headquarters on Bladensburg Road Northeast in Washington, D.C. So if you've always wanted to grow microgreens, this is a a fun time to attend. The ticket includes some take-home microgreen seeds, and you can find out how easy it is to grow your own healthy and nutritious microgreens in your very own kitchen. Happy gardening, everyone! Thank you for listening to Garden DC. You can become a listener supporter for as little as 99 cents a month by going to anchor.fm slash garden DC slash support. Another way to support this podcast is to subscribe to our monthly digital publication, Washington Gardener Magazine. To do so, go to washingtongardener.com. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You can find Washington Gardener online at WashingtonGardener.com, on Twitter at WDC Gardener, on Instagram at WDC Gardener, and on Facebook.com at Washington Gardener Magazine.